Hey guys, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's constantly at work in our mess. Whether it's your first time here or you've joined us for all 42 episodes, we absolutely consider it an honor and privilege to gather together to intentionally share how God's met us in the trenches and to pause to remember in the midst of this crazy busy world, what matters most. Well, I am Jen Jewell hosting this podcast, which airs a brand new episode every other Tuesday. The Messy Table is partnered with my church, Life Church, and our women's ministry sisters. We're also huge fans of the YouVersion Bible app, God's Word in our pockets, wherever we go. If you don't already have it, you are totally missing out and should download that for free today. While you're at it, you can subscribe to The Messy Table with one click of a button, and then it comes straight to your phone. It's great. But wherever you're from, whatever specific church you might be associated with, or even if you're still wrestling with the idea of a God, you're welcome to wrestle here. And here we are passionate about one name, the name of Jesus, the name we believe is above all others, the one who created and pursues our very souls. So we all like happy stories, don't we? We like fairy tale endings. We like knowing the answers to our hard questions. We like our lives to stay wrapped up nice and tidy with a big sparkly bow. But there are some moments, some people, some experiences that show up unexpectedly and they don't exactly play by the rules. My guest for today knows all about the complexities of a life turned upside down. Rachel Leslie is a wife, mama, graphic designer, small business owner, overall creative, and just a stunning light in this often gloomy world. And in this soul-piercing conversation, Rachel's sharing what she's learned about embracing goodbye. Goodbye to a fabricated perfection and filtered dreams. Goodbye to striving for God's approval instead of just basking in His grace. Most of us have had to embrace some form of goodbye to a season, to a relationship, but Rachel's faced a heart-wrenching goodbye like no other, a goodbye to her precious, beautiful daughter, Audrey Claire, who graced this world for 81 days. Now, it's not goodbye forever, but it is goodbye for now, a void that sits raw and open until heaven crashes into earth for good and forever. Psalm 90.12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I can promise you this, Just like those golden and maple-colored leaves currently falling from our trees outside, Audrey's legacy, through her mama's words, somehow gives us a glimpse of heaven and a spark of clarity, a vital reminder that this world is not our home. Guys, this episode is a tad longer than usual, but I think you'll find it worth it. You might grab some tissues as you reheat your coffee, pull up a chair, and join us at the messy table. Well, hey, Rachel, welcome to The Messy Table. Hey, thanks so much for having me. We want to know all about you and what makes you tick. So if you would, just give us all an introduction and a little peek into your world. Absolutely. You know, sometimes when I'm asked that question, I think, how would God answer that question about me, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's almost like someone else, someone important in our lives should answer that question for us. That's so true. You know, someone who sees us the way our maker does, but... Some of the basics of my personal profile, if you will. Um, (laughs) I've been a believer since I was about 10. However, I wasn't allowing my faith to really take lead in my life until really I was in my 30s. Um, I married my high school sweetheart, Chris. Ah, high school. I didn't realize that. Yes. We'll celebrate our 13th wedding anniversary in December. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. We have a Cooper. He is eight (laughs) and an Emma, and she is just about two and a half. 
and they are usually running full speed in opposite directions. So our life feels the same right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I can relate to that. (laughs) Yes. So Chris and I both grew up in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and we then graduated from Oklahoma State and went on to spend a decade in Oklahoma City. And that's where we say we became adults together. <laughs> we, we became parents and we grew roots in Oklahoma City. And then we just recently relocated back to Stillwater and our children will grow up just a few miles from their grandparents and mm. cousins. And so we're working on finding our place in our new original hometown. <laughs> You're back in God's country. Exactly. So that's Go a Cowboys. win. Go folks. <laughs> Rachel and I went to college together. So exactly. we have that that always binds us. So <laughs> Exactly. Um, so work-wise, I'm a graphic designer and I have my own itty bitty business and it allows me to work out of the home, except oftentimes I'm at my favorite local coffee shop. Yes, Aspen. Please say Aspen. <laughs> well, I, I am a huge fan of Aspen. We also have a new-ish coffee shop called Balanced, and I spend okay. a lot of time there too. I, okay. I okay. love a good um, lavender vanilla latte, and <laughs> they, they make a, a mean one. So I recently launched a jewelry line, which is just I'm having the best time with. You did, and it's I gorgeous. Gorgeous. Thanks. I like to refer to it as wearable art because really every piece is handmade and it's imperfectly unique. (laughs) So Mm. wearable art gives it a more um, accurate name. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what made you want to start that? Obviously, you're in the graphic design world, so you have an eye for beauty. So really, my work is my hobby and my hobby is my work. Like trying to separate the two is is futile. Um, Being creative is probably the the most cathartic and filling outlets for me and branching out into this world. I won't say it happened by accident because I I really don't believe in accidents. I think it's something that I wanted to try working with this medium and it just clicked. And the more I did it, the more, I know it sounds crazy, but I felt on purpose and on fire because Mm. it was, it was kind of a collision of my different worlds that are fun for me, uh, art and design and style, but also it's a, it's a great way to connect with people. And I know some people are like, really? It's jewelry. Oh girl. No, but it has been such a fun way to connect with people, new people who I've never met and friends and family. And it is a small thing that brings some people joy. And it has just been a beautiful journey that I hope I get to continue. Also, the the balance of my work life and my home life, it's ever evolving. And it's, oh, man. Yeah. Gosh, it's something I have struggled with. The lines with. are blurred. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's how I feel. Very blurry. <laughs> yes. And it's really something I've struggled with since probably the day our son was born eight years ago. But mm-hmm. I can touch on that more later. Yeah. Uh, I love to write. I've found a, a real connection with the written word. Mm-hmm. Um, You're a great writer. Well, I feel like it just, it gives my feels a place to be, not necessarily to be answered or to be fully understood, but almost the permission to simply be. And Mm -hmm. it often opens the door for a conversation with someone who either gets it Mm -hmm. or needs to hear it or has wisdom for me about it. So Um, true. So that's something that's 
I guess you could say a hobby. I don't know. I don't yeah. know if it's a hobby. I wrestle through my thoughts in words as well. Yeah. So wrestle, that's a good word. Mm-hmm. Um, a few random facts. Let's see. I only started drinking coffee recently, <laughs> and I honestly don't know how I was surviving adulthood. <laughs> no, no motherhood without it. It's life giving. Um, <laughs> it's so life giving. It is. Uh, let's see. A few months ago, I cut 14 inches off my hair, and I feel like it has changed my life. And people <laughs> laugh because they're like, "Are you serious?" But I feel like I was spending time on this part of my life that was too valuable, and taking that away has freed me from this investment that I didn't, I no longer wanted. And it is, it's a big deal. I mean, yes. I, I feel, I feel like a freer, lighter person. Do you have thick hair or is it more thin? Oh, so well, thick. I mean, there are people with thicker hair, but it is, it's a whole, it's a beast. It's, it's a mane. A, okay. Yeah, it's a mane. <laughs> so, so that has been a big change in my world this year and so wish I had done it earlier. My hair is pretty thin, but doesn't really have much wave. And so I can go to sleep with it wet and wake <sighs> up with it straight. And I'm oh. not saying that as bragging because in fact, I wish I had thicker, more voluminous hair like the commercials. I do not. So <laughs> Commercials. I love it. <laughs> commercials aren't real though, oh, of course. Yeah. Oh so. yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Other random things. I love to be cozy. I'm an INFJ for those familiar with Myers-Briggs. And so anybody who is just understood me on a whole new level. <laughs> Bless my heart. Oh. No, it's good. INFJ. I test yes. ENTJ, but I think oh. I'm an X on the F and T. I'm very really? much in the middle. So yeah. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Have you done the step two? I have not. I need to do the you step do. two. You do. So it breaks it down. Each letter is broken down into, oh, maybe 10 categories. I'm not really what? sure exactly what. So it brings out those things. Like for example, I test a T, which is thinker, but F is feeler, the other side. So I'm quite the T on some levels, but then I have um, some different like empathy and harmony yes. and different things that fall into the F category. And so it shows you like, okay, so this is where I think pretty logically. And this is where, you know, my emotions take over because I'm thinking about how the other person feels or whatnot. So anyway, really good resource. You should do it. Which can be so (laughs) exhausting for us because it's like we're feeling with our heart and thinking with our head. So we're just Mm -hmm. like stuck in our neck, right? Right. Or there's (laughs) this tension because they're pulling in opposite directions. Oh, it's exhausting. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Um, anyway, those are just a few random things about me. Those are so good. Well. I love it. <laughs> we all feel like that we know you a little bit more. So that's good. Okay, great. <laughs> well, you have told me that you, from a little girl, had always wanted to be a mom. Yeah. But then that time came and motherhood just totally rocked your mm-hmm. world as it does for most of us. Mm-hmm. So what did that transition look like for you? Gosh, you know, I frequently feel like I'm on the outside looking in. It seems like motherhood appears to be incredibly fulfilling, joyful, and just overall dreamy by everyone but me. Hmm. And what I know is that I'm not I'm not alone nope. in this. Mm-mm. And right. like you said, I grew up babysitting all over our community and just adoring kids. I genuinely looked forward to the day that I would have my own family. Even in college, Chris and I were dating. And I remember imagining the day that we might get married and one day have our own children. And to a point, I I was wishing my life away and rushing the gift of the present to get to the next stage. Mm -hmm. And so by the time we had had our first child, we had been married for five years. And you and I talked about this at one point, that Mm -hmm. in order to drive— 
we have to pass a test and get a driver's license. (laughs) And then before Chris and I were married, legally, we had to get a marriage license from the state of Oklahoma, prior to which we engaged in premarital counseling. Premarital, yes. Exactly. Then we wanted to bring a human life into the world. Yes. And yet we didn't have to get permission or pass a test or have a license. It's the wildest thing. They just give the baby to you. (laughs) I'm not saying that we wouldn't have been fit necessarily, but maybe like pre-parenting classes might Mm -hmm. have asked some of those hard questions like, do you currently drink coffee? Because if not, you're fooling (laughs) yourself. (laughs) Yeah, just kidding. But really the truth is I really believed I had a healthy idea of what motherhood would look like and feel like and be like. And yeah, I was surprised. I mean, my my pregnancy was quite difficult and complicated to begin with, but the transition into actual motherhood was just harder than I expected. And mm-hmm. I, I would say I was ignorant and blissfully unaware of the realities of what it means to fully give of yourself. Oh man, that's the truth. Yeah. To keep and protect and be responsible for a tiny human. And mainly my desire to be in control mm. was just knocked off its rocker. And oh, the picture that I had in my head was not quite what I thought it would be. Um, mm-hmm. I was really taken back by this guilt that began to creep into my world. Um, it really started when Cooper wasn't getting enough nutrients by nursing. So... Every two hours, I was pumping with this hands-free pumping bra situation (laughs) while I was bottle feeding him. Mm -hmm. And then a couple few minutes later after he had finished, he would get really bad acid reflux. Mm. And it was this perpetual cyclical thing. And I began to resent the whole thing of it. And his very ability to receive nutrients, it became a really difficult thing in my life. And even saying that out loud sounds ridiculous, but I, I imagined us being nursing buddies. I wanted it to be this beautiful, warm, cozy situation. And instead it was hard and ugly and uncomfortable. Mm. And, and he was um, uncomfortable and not feeling well. And, and I felt guilty for feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I started to feel lost. I I personally wasn't all that experienced at being a mom, believe it or not. <laughs> really? <laughs> I was as new to it as our newborn baby. It's and like so, God does that to us for a reason. <laughs> Just You can only learn to swim by swimming. You can only learn to be a mother by mothering. It's very exactly. interesting. But oddly, I began to miss work. Mm-hmm. I was longing for the connection with the people and for that need to be needed outside of the home and for a way to use my creativity. And again, the guilt. Mm. Why wasn't this child making all my dreams come true like I <laughs> thought he would? And mm. what am I doing wrong? And why do I even want to go back to work? I thought I wanted to stay home with my kids and never look back. And I started to just wonder, who am I? Who is this person that I've become? And so what I learned as I gained experience and perspective and wisdom through the years is just you grow through what you go through. And motherhood doesn't look like what I thought it would. And a lot of that is because I'm not who I thought I was. Um, frankly, I'm, I'm less patient than I thought I would be. And I'm not as nurturing as I'd like to be. And I'm 
really inflexible. <laughs> but <laughs> that's that control, right? Exactly. The control and the perfection of it all and what it looks like on the outside. And mm-hmm. but I'm also I'm an observant mother and I'm aware and I'm I'm braver than I thought I might be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And truly my greatest regret about my early years into motherhood are my pride. I had this really a surface level relationship with the Lord and it did me no favors. Um, Mm. I really needed him to be my strength in those weak moments and days and weeks, but I was too proud to allow him to. I, I think I had convinced myself that it was my problem and I should be doing better instead of asking him to carry me through it. I feel like so many of our mama moments go unseen by anybody, but gratefully we serve a good God who sees us. You know, I He sees our frustration and He sees our brokenness, but He also sees the times that we choose our kids over mm-hmm. ourselves over yeah. and over again. And Well, and sometimes there's urgent, important things that are going on and you just have to buckle down and do you it. But to. then again, right. we love our kids and they're amazing. But I love that you're bringing light to the fact that this is not always easy. And sometimes we have these thoughts of, I'm not enjoying this. And right. and most of us have been told at some point to enjoy every moment. Maybe it was the mm. old lady in the grocery store who told us that, but the truth is not every moment is enjoyable. So what encouragement might you give to the mom who's caught in that tension, possibly trapped in the mom guilt you mentioned for not soaking it up enough? What would you tell them now? So I, I think such a key in my world is the village of people who God has placed in my life. I won't say that I choose to surround myself with because I really believe that hmm. God places people in our lives. Now we get, I guess mm-hmm. we get to choose who we yeah. pour into but or open up to, you know, exactly. if you're willing to be um, honest with people. Exactly. Um but I think when when we're spending time on social media or around people who um have that dreamy filter on it, Mm-hmm. That that doesn't do any of us any good or any any favors. I think mm-hmm. for me personally, I need people in my life and resources that are helpful and encouraging and real and raw who will say, I'm having a tough time with this in my in my life as a mother. Can you help me through this? Mm-hmm. Or I don't know what to do about this right now, so that I can feel like I can be vulnerable with them. Mm-hmm. But if yeah. I can't be, if I don't feel like I can be open and real and I have mm-hmm. to put on the, the glowy filter, mm-hmm. that's, it, it's, um, it's not real. Mm-hmm. And, um, so and that's I, a so big I, deal to you. Authenticity, being it, real, cutting the crap, if you will. Excuse me. It, but. it is. It is. And I think I, I, I love beautiful photography. I love when, I mean, I'm a designer for goodness mm-hmm. sakes. I, mm-hmm. I love beautiful looking things, but I, I am so, I get so caught in between of the, how something looks and how it feels. Mm-hmm. And, um, so for, for any mother or any somebody wanting to be a mother or somebody who doesn't want to be a mom. You know, I think there's, we don't talk about that enough too, that not everybody wants to be a mother Mm -hmm. and that's okay too. You know, I have people in my life who that's a struggle that they don't necessarily want to be a mother, but that's such a common theme in their life that people are asking them when, Mm, and that feeling of the judgment of, well, why not? 
all these expectations people exactly. put on us, whether it's motherhood or working or not working or yeah. I remember so I had a hysterectomy after our last child was born and it wasn't all that long before a few people would ask, Do you think you might ever adopt? And I was <laughs> amazed just by the next level. I know, you know, three children have come out of me and and is it okay if if we're content and feeling like our family is complete with the two living children we have. Is that okay? A friend and I were talking recently about that that question that that women get asked a lot. Are you you wanting to have kids? Are you done having kids? And how many kids do you have? And I I used to not care so much about that question or how it was asked um, until we had a child who wasn't a living part of our story anymore. And so I've changed my position on how I ask that question. And now I say, is your family complete? Mm -hmm. Because if somebody were to say that to me, I would say our family is not complete here on earth because um, we have a baby living in heaven and she doesn't get to be here with us, but we will be one day there. You know, it allows us Mm -hmm. the opportunity that if I want, I can talk about her, but if not, I can also say, but we are finished having children. You know, it allows people to answer it however they want. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe we'd like to have more or no, we're definitely done. And maybe someone's in the trenches of infertility and that question is so painful. Exactly. You know, and and so it's anyway. Yes. Yeah. And so I think my encouragement to the women is to find the people who they can be still with and be open and raw with, because those are the people who are are just going to be the best, I think, for them here and today and to meet them where they are. Yes. Find people who meet you where you are. You know, I think people often say that comparison is the thief of joy, but I think (laughs) you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about perfection. I think perfection is really the thief of joy. So sometimes we look over at someone else and we think, well, my life isn't perfect the way theirs appears to be. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we see all of the mess behind the scenes in our own world. And then we see someone else's filter on Instagram and it's like, man, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I just can't get it all together like they can. Right. Right. Yeah. That's so true. And my, my, my son, my eight-year-old recently, and I don't know if he heard it somewhere else. He, he had to have. I was talking about cleaning his room and I came in and I said, Cooper, this is almost perfect. And he said, mom, perfect is boring. <laughs> and I thought, wow. That's so true. But yeah. he went on to say, Mom, you know the only perfect one is Jesus. Oh, which, man. Uh, yes. Come on. <laughs> which he, we're, he's a very um, prove it type of boy, show yeah. me type mm-hmm. of boy. So biblical teaching with him is um, challenging. Mm-hmm. But when I heard him say that, it was encouraging. Well, I can relate to him because I'm that way. I'm definitely a thinker <laughs> and a wrestler and a prove it girl. And so I'll send him to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what? My son also just did, you're talking about what your son said the other day. Um, I think maybe they say this at school, but you know how we grew up hearing practice makes perfect. Yes. Um, and oh, somehow I, someone said that the other day and he said, that's not right. It's practice makes progress. And I was like, oh, yes, that is so much better. That is good. I honestly, I don't think I've ever heard that. And that's so, so good. Yeah. And much more accurate. I love that. Talking about perfectionism, that is something that I have this ugly relationship with really. And I know that when, when you and I started talking about working together on this and me getting to share mm-hmm. my story and Audrey's story on the messy table, I'm a fan of the messy table podcast and I listen to them and, and my outlet to receive them is on social media. 
And there's a cover image. Of -hmm. course, it's kind of like the book cover. And there's an (laughs) image of the guest. And I remember thinking, Jen's going to ask me for a picture to use as the cover on the Messy Table podcast. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, Um, the last time we even took a family picture was two years ago. Um, We had an infant and I had my 14 other inches of hair. And so I started thinking, oh gosh, do we have to put together a little family photo shoot? And and, um, and, and what's that going to look like? And there's stress that goes into that. And what do you wear? And, and I am a fan of fall family photos. We haven't made it a priority in our life. We've had professional photos maybe two or three times in the past eight years, because I think it captures your family in that moment and in that season. This season seems difficult for me. Like mm-hmm. imagining getting the four of us in one frame. <laughs> right. It sounds stressful. And <laughs> yes. Um, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. And, and you know, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, all these other pictures are so beautiful and I, and I don't even have anything to share and and I thought, Satan, no. Stop that. You know, Jen would not want this. She would not want Mm-mm. for that to be a roadblock from sharing no. this story on the messy table. That's the whole point. The messy table is to have an opportunity to be real and open. And mm-hmm. I thought about maybe I could maybe I could share a picture of my actual messy table with my family actually yeah. in it and me yes. doing a selfie. But um I just think I'm I'm probably not alone in that either. You know, how many times have people seen the picture of the family and everybody's smiling, but what probably went into that was hurry, we got to get there before the sun sets. And did we get all the matching tights and shoes and everybody (laughs) smile? (laughs) We know that sometimes there's stress. Yeah, Yeah, family pictures, uh, they can be pretty stressful when you have young kids, especially. I know. We're probably not going to be perched in a field with, you know, apple trees behind us. That's not not our season right Mm -hmm, now. But mm -hmm. um, I, I do... I struggle with wanting wanting those type of photos, but then what goes into getting them is is not is not the priority oh, right yeah. now. <laughs> oh yeah, we can all relate to that. And there's yeah. this weird dichotomy with something like social media or blogs or whatever. Because yeah, on yeah. one hand, I mean, of course, having a pretty picture, there's nothing wrong with that. We all Absolutely. love to. That's what we yes. frame in our homes. Yeah. But then there is this other side of like, but this isn't necessarily real life, right? All the time. Right. I mean, it's not. It's just not. And so there is this weird influx because even if you're taking lifestyle pictures in your home, they're probably putting on makeup. They probably put on a bra. Mm -hmm. You know, most Mm -hmm. of us don't roll out of bed, no makeup and no bra and just drool going down the side of our cheek. And we don't snap a selfie and post it on. And again, I'm not saying that that's what we should do. I'm not saying that. I know. But we just have to recognize that there are so many real life moments behind the scenes, kids throwing fits or a discussion that you're working through with your spouse. Yeah. And that's just life. And so I do think we do ourselves a disservice when we look at the pretty picture and we think, that's it. They're perfect all the time. Their life is flawless because that's not true for any of us. It's not. So I think finding that balance, you know, social media is this beast that I think we're all still trying to figure out. And, Hmm. but I I think that maybe this balance of maybe it's okay to share a struggle mm-hmm. and it's okay to celebrate a special moment. Yeah. Without excusing it or feeling guilty. Exactly. For... Or feeling like, well, I, I can't share this because someone will think I'm bragging about, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. There's both the fact, sides. Mm-hmm. The fact that, you know, my family got together for a picture. 
Yeah. But I also don't want people to think I'm complaining because, you know, my kids are sick. I think finding that balance and being self-aware is an important time in this world of social media. And if, you, you know... It's both, and There's it both is. sides. And one of the keys to that is that we need real people in our real lives that we're doing real life with. And I think yes. if that's the case, then if you want to post something that's really hard on social media, great. If you want to post something that's a blessing on social media, great. And then viewing Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, through the filter ourselves, through the lens of just knowing there's always more. Absolutely. I think when social media replaces the real relationship there are troubled waters ahead. I think, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, you know, she seems to be doing great. I don't need to check on her because I saw on Instagram that she went to the football game and she was at the coffee shop recently. Things look great. And so we don't check in on our friends Mm -hmm. because we assume that they're posting and so we know what's going on in their life. And so I just think it's only our mistake if we choose to allow social media to take the place of the real relationship. Mm-hmm. And I, I am absolutely guilty of that. I think we all can be. It can be a dangerous tool. Yeah. I think you've brought up a lot of great points. And obviously, you've been through so much. Yeah. You know, when you face something like you and your husband have faced mm-hmm. as parents, mm-hmm. something that no parent ever wants to face. Mm-hmm you view life differently. So I know that this isn't easy, but we would just be so completely honored if you would share your daughter's story with us, which is also your story. Absolutely. So settle in. I feel like to really, um, to really do her story justice, I feel like I, I won't share every nitty gritty detail, but I do feel like sharing the story, um, has some detail to it. And so, Cooper. He was just a few years old, and Chris and I decided that we would like to expand our family. And we were blessed to become pregnant and learned on our eighth wedding anniversary that we would have a baby girl. And we decided to name her Audrey Claire. Audrey means noble strength, and Claire stands for clarity. So for about four weeks, I had I knew that there was this baby girl in my belly and I was buying some dresses and imagining her nursery and thinking about bows and pigtails and prom Mm. and everything. (laughs) There was a lot of daydreaming going on for Mm -hmm. about four weeks. And then on this just gloomy day in January of 2014, it was, uh, I was halfway through um, the pregnancy with her and we learned that she was missing a significant part of her brain due to Dandy Walker syndrome. And they also told us that she had multiple heart defects called Tetralogy of Fallot. And I learned what the acronym IUGR stands for, which is intrauterine growth restriction. Mm. And my amniotic fluid was dangerously low. It was a hard, a hard appointment to say the very least, really. Mm. So my dad is an OBGYN actually. And so I spent many summers uh, working in his office and really just grew up knowing quite a bit more than most young girls about the world of obstetrics and gynecology. And, but none of these words were familiar to me at all. And it was just, it was terrifying really. Mm. So we kept hearing the word grim. Her outlook was grim. And so I remember just mourning 
the life that I imagined for a healthy, happy baby girl. Um, the, all those daydreams I had had were just shattered really quickly because no one could tell us if she would even survive or if she did, how long she might live. And, you know, her name was Audrey Claire, Clarity. And, but yet there was nothing about this little girl that was clear at all. Um, so Chris and I, conversations were just constantly happening between us. And at one point we just wondered, you know, does bringing her into this world mean that we are forcing her into a miserable or painful life? And that just resounded for weeks and weeks of the pregnancy. But ultimately we, we felt that we were obedient in choosing life for her. Mm. And I put my trust in God really the best way I knew how. But I would say my my prayer life during that time became really complicated. I think the obvious prayer is that he would provide ultimate healing, mm-hmm. that I would pray for a miracle. But what felt pretty complicated was the Lord made Audrey exactly as she was meant to be. I believed that, or I thought I trusted that. <laughs> um So praying for him to change her or to heal her felt like I wanted it my way, Mm -hmm. that his way wasn't good enough for me, but it did feel like it was good enough for her. You know, what I wanted really what was, what was I thought best for her. So I felt, I just felt conflicted because on the other hand, praising him for this didn't even feel honest. And so instead we prayed for clarity a lot, just that we would be given clarity about her, her life and what to do every step of the way. Um, so every single day of the pregnancy was just an opportunity to trust. It was a daily walk of blind faith and truly unlike anything I had experienced before in my entire life. Like I said, I, I grew up a willing participant in church going. I was excited about it being in our youth group. And I have clearly a, an issue with control in my life, <laughs> perfection. Mm. And for me, um, my so-called relationship was more about kind of pleasing God by doing as little wrong as possible, you know, kind of checking off all the do rights mm-hmm. um, and having a, as few check marks in the do wrongs mm-hmm. column. And I somehow thought that I had something to do with life going well up to that point. (laughs) Like I was being patted on the head like a little Mm -hmm. girl. Mm -hmm. And so none of this seemed to fit with my life. (laughs) So I arrogantly didn't understand how this was happening. So at 36 weeks into the pregnancy, Audrey had stopped growing at all. And so they felt like the best chance she had was to deliver her VSC section or at least to try. And so her birthday was just terrifying and terrific. Um, the waiting room was overflowing with what we call our tribe of people. Hmm. They really had no idea at the time that it wasn't the last time they would gather for her. Um, they cried with us. They prayed with us and over us and over her, but ultimately they celebrated because she was alive. Um, and she needed a great deal of intervention, like oxygen, a feeding tube, IVs, but against so many odds, she was living the first month of her life. I describe like the roller coaster you never wanted to be on 
and there was no getting off. It was like two steps forward and a giant leap back over and over again. Uh, And then when she was four weeks old, she had to be taken via ambulance to Children's Hospital. And within 24 hours, she was on an operating table undergoing a five-hour open-heart surgery. And, you know, once again, that tribe united and they they continued to show up throughout her life. And frankly, they still do today. Mm. They're like my living, walking reminder that the Lord is near the brokenhearted, literally. Um, So Audrey survived the surgery and it was like midnight or so when they finished. And they allowed us, Chris and I, into the ICU to see her. And they did best they could to try and prepare us for what we were about to see, but words failed. Mm. (laughs) And it's the vision of her is just etched into my brain for Mm. really the rest of my days, I imagine. So she went into surgery and she weighed a little over five pounds and there was a massive amount of swelling. And when she came out, she was a little over 10 pounds. She had wow. doubled her body weight Goodness. Um, because of the swelling. And so because of that, they weren't able to close her chest. And so what we saw when we walked in, what we focused on really was her chest was still cracked and her, her tiny heart, which like if you right now look in the palm of your hand and imagine a strawberry, that's how big her heart was. Mm. And we could see it just rhythmically beating up and down in the center of her chest. And and the only thing protecting her heart from the outside world was what something that looked a lot like cling wrap. Mm. I know it's medical grade, <laughs> but it was this clear protective film that just laid over this open wound with her heart beating. It was oh, just man. the most unbelievable thing mm. that I've ever seen. And truly there's never been a, a moment in my life that I have felt more helpless frankly hopeless. There was just nothing I could do for my baby girl. Her body was just broken and open and exposed and I couldn't do a thing. So the week following her surgery was, it really was the low point for me personally in her life. Her chest wasn't just open that night or the next day, but for days and days. And so they had to have her on what's called a paralytic, which She couldn't even move a finger. She was just lying completely still because the risk was too great that she might pierce or injure her own tiny heart. And that question that we had asked ourselves when I was pregnant just kept coming back to me. Did we force her into this miserable and painful life? And is she suffering now because we chose life for her? And I mean, the the bigger question was, is this what obedience looks like? And so I remember there was, it was a rainy, I remember it being a rainy afternoon one day that week. And I had just moved to a place of apathy is how I would describe it. And my younger brother was spending time with us there that day. And so he received his education at Ozark Christian College and he was finishing it at the time. And I just remember looking at him and I said, help me understand. And, you know, he didn't go into some long answer or try to, try to make sense of it all. 
um, he just simply said, some things we may never understand this side of heaven. So true. And it is, and it was just, it was the simple truth that I needed to hear in that moment to wake me up. Like I was, I had been burdened with almost the responsibility of needing to know or understand why this was all happening. And he freed me from that. Mm -hmm. Some things we may never understand this side of heaven. Heaven. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And it sounds like you were almost taking some of the blame, like somehow this was your fault. Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And But I didn't write her story. Mm -hmm. God did. He formed her in my very womb. And so it was like I needed the Lord for what felt like the first time in my life. And I can say that now looking back. And people mean so well when they say, you can do this. God won't give you more than you can handle. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't think that's true. I think He absolutely gives us more than we can handle Mm -hmm. because we cannot handle this life alone without Him. Right. You know, I think that my parents would have handled it for us if they could have. I believe my husband wanted to carry all of it for our family, but it wasn't fair because it wasn't possible. You know, the Lord is the only one capable, but I had to allow him to carry me. Mm, yeah. And But I had to ask him to. And I know he was with me all along, but I was keeping him at this distance. I was arrogantly thinking that I was managing this life on my own. So Audrey would ultimately live for 81 days. Mm. And it was on day 79 that... She she had progressed well enough that she was going to come home. And I say well enough because Audrey was never going to be normal by the world standards. She would always be missing a significant part of her brain. That would never change. And that was going to limit her in significant ways for her whole life. And we were never clear on whether or not she could hear or see. That was, um, we just weren't sure. And they, the testing was inconclusive. Hmm. She had had uh, surgery to have a G-tube placed where she could be fed directly to her stomach because she couldn't eat th- with a bottle. And But all of that, she still needed some oxygen, but all of that could be done from home. So I had completed on day 79, I had completed my training, my medical training on Audrey, and um, they were preparing to move her to kind of a step down section of the hospital so that we could kind of make sure we were ready for her and could spend a night fully doing her care. And um, on day 80... Everything that we were fighting for and that she was fighting for just came to an end. Um, So that was a Friday night. And time and time again, the doctors saved her life (laughs) that night. And my my dad still says that they plucked her from the edge. And really at that point on that Friday night and into the wee hours of the morning, the medical team was they were the ones fighting. Audrey's fight really was over at that point. And at at one point it became too much for her. And 
she couldn't breathe on her own. And so she was intubated and she's put on life support. And so they looked to us for a decision. And, you know, at that point, we we felt that we were forcing her to stay alive. Mm -hmm. But it was right at really the perfect moment, not by accident, because again, I don't, I don't really believe in accidents, but at the perfect moment, the chief of pediatric surgery came into her room and he hadn't been on her case yet, but he, he had this fresh set of eyes and he, he took us into a room to look at a pretty recent set of chest scans. And at the time it had been to look at the function of her heart, um, but it also included her lung function. And he showed us really what was total devastation with her lungs. And really he gave us a gift in which was clarity. Mm. And what he saw was, was that she would never come back from this with the lungs that she had. And so we were able to know without a doubt that her fight was over and that we had to let her go. And so we decided that, um, we would keep the intubation tube in long enough to let our family come in to say goodbye to her and have some time with her. Um, and we were able to bathe her. We had never had the opportunity to bathe her. Mm. So we got to give her a sweet bath and our family made it. And they moved us to this just beautiful room instead of being in kind of a tiny NICU room, we were moved to a, a beautiful big room where all of our family could fit. And so I remember it was in the, in the very final moments, our family had left the room and Chris and I were holding Audrey and they were about to move the, remove the tube. And, and you don't know how long it might take in those, in these cases, but she had she had been getting worse and worse throughout that morning and so it we knew it probably wouldn't take long but i remember fearing a fight mm -hmm. i wondered what if she fights for her life and what if what if we feel like we were wrong and what if we have to watch her fight mm -hmm. and and just for a moment I, you know i thought wait you know let's just wait but I didn't, and we just trusted the system, but more so trusted God. And they removed the tube, and she didn't fight at all. And she didn't even take a breath. Mm. And so we just let her go and sent her home. And what we believe is into the arms of Jesus. We believe that God took her and He healed her. And almost instantly, I felt this sense of relief mm. because... Mm -hmm. I no longer had to worry mm. about her. I didn't have to question if she was suffering or in pain because mm. I believe that he took that away for her. Yeah. And yeah. I felt relief for her. Mm. So it was 81 days mm. and it was a beautiful, beautiful fight that she battled. Mm-hmm. So physically letting her go was difficult because I was finally able to cradle her without all those tubes and wires, like heart to heart, chest to chest. I, I hadn't been able to hold her like that for 81 days because all these things were keeping her alive. Mm. But then suddenly she no longer needed those things, you know, so it was just, you know, the juxtaposition of 
well, now she no longer needs these things because she's gone. Now I can finally hold her the way I want to. So, um, but I did. I finally let her go and Chris escorted her down and we'll never forget the beautiful moments that we had in those, those last hours, Mm. you know, and saying goodbye in such a beautiful way and feeling like we had the gift of time in that sense. Wow. So yeah, it's a wow for sure. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, uh, I know. (laughs) So what do you say? Exactly. She's pretty special. So what in that moment after Chris had carried her down and you're left alone, Mm -hmm. I don't don't know if you were alone or if you had family with you. Mm -hmm. um, What in that moment were you thinking? What was going through your head? It was, um, it was an odd sense of, you know, there's this playground at Children's Hospital in Oklahoma City on, I think it's the sixth floor. So it's kind of, it's kind of on a rooftop, but we spent a lot of time there because we had a little boy who was at the hospital quite a bit Mm. during this time. You know, he would dress like a superhero Mm. and come to the hospital and see his baby sister. And, and, uh, so we spent a lot of time with him there. And so, sorry. So after she passed, we, we found ourselves there Mm. and, you know, Chris was, Chris was escorting her down to the morgue and we were just on the playground Mm -hmm. waiting for him. And I think just taking it in just really, I don't even know the right words. I haven't really thought about this moment. No one has really asked about that moment or what we did right after, but there was so much family there and we just found ourselves gathering on this playground, just soaking in the, the fresh air and taking in the moment that she wasn't with us anymore. But almost, I think for all of us, the fact that none of us were worried for her anymore. And as believers, we mm-hmm. all knew she is instantly mm-hmm. healed. And my dad, so I kept a blog. It's, I still keep one occasionally, but um, there were times that my cousin Carrie and my dad, Mark, would fill in for me when I just couldn't or needed, I needed some help. And that day, he he filled in for me to let people know that she had passed and mm-hmm. the the title he he's a beautiful writer and and the title was she graced us all and and that's so true and i still i still think that and i feel that and believe that that she did she was such she was such a gift not just to me and to chris and to cooper but we all got to borrow her for 81 mm. days mm. because cause really it's like she was this gift from God that changed us and graced us. And then she went home, you know, and this was this temporary place where we all needed to know her and understand the gift of perspective. And then she needed to go home. 
So, yeah. I love what your brother said about how some things we might never understand this side of heaven. But it's interesting how life and death and the gift of Audrey, even in this moment, it brings clarity. Absolutely. And even just the the bigness. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. The bigness of but heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, but that heaven, yeah. you know, to cling to the cross that I can only see so far. I still can't even fully grasp what that even is going to mean and feel like. So this August it was four years mm-hmm. since Audrey passed. She passed away in August of two thousand fourteen and but it was just this year that I really came to a profound place of healing. And that is only by the patient grace of God. Um, there was just this emptiness lingering long after her death that I, I felt anxious and eager to fill. And I was filling it with um, nothing that I felt was necessarily bad, but it was not what I needed to be filling it with. For example, I filled it with fundraising. We raised $100,000 to create an endowment. Mm. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And I needed my tribe of family and friends. I volunteered. And in general, I just attempted to honor Audrey in every single thing that I did. But yet, I found myself still feeling this hollow, uncomfortable, busy feeling. So early this year, I went to an if gathering local mm-hmm. and it was it was an incredible experience for me. It brought to light some things that I didn't even realize were going on with me, but you said the word wrestle earlier and that's what I was in. I was in this long too long wrestling match that I discovered and I I learned that I was almost harboring some resentment toward God. I think I I was wondering in that moment, I was feeling a sense of grief for this mutual understanding that I thought I had with God. You know, the one of, you make the good decisions and I'll pat you on the head and bless your life. Mm. That mutual understanding. Because I realized my theology was incredibly flawed mm. and my worldly goal of making the right decisions was a lot less about his glory and more about my reward. And I think I was mourning. I had grieved and mourned Audrey pretty well, but this was a different sense of grief and mourning because I felt overwhelmed with how wrong I had done my walk for so long. And I felt like I needed to play catch up. I felt so behind And so I felt exhausted and overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, there's so much that I've done wrong. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I still wonder, like, how strong is my faith? And how is faith measured anyway? Who gets to measure that, (laughs) you know, now here on earth? Who can I ask that question to? Because I wonder, what if I'm actually keeping one foot out the door just ready to bolt when I'm faced with turmoil again. I, I, I kind of wonder that. Um, and then in the spring, something, something changed in me. And I began to really pursue a deeper, intimate relationship with God mm-hmm. rather than chasing what I thought it should look like. And 
what that really meant for me was actually physically, emotionally giving it all to him. So resting in the unknown is what I really did. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have to play catch up. Exactly. And so instead of obsessing over making Audrey proud, I focused more on glorifying God. And so what happened was that I started to feel whole. I started to almost like the little air pockets in me (laughs) that were making me feel empty. It's like they began to fill up. I, I fully accept that I'm a broken sinner and only he makes me whole Mm. that, that only he can fill the empty, broken parts of me. And also I'm able to put so much less pressure on the people around me Mm. to make me happy. I think I was, I was, I was burdening them in some ways because I expected people to make me happy. And so now I can be more present today mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm worrying less about the unknown future and I'm accepting of all that has already happened. And I'm needing less of the world because I know the only one who can make me whole. Oh, and man. Yeah. Something we all, goodness, we all need to know. We all need to remember. You know, earlier we were talking a little bit about perfection and, and I think something that goes right along the line with that is happiness. And for years, I believe that I have chased happiness. And when I do that, I think that I expect a finish line. I expect to find happiness and to stay there. And I know now that like I'm, in, I'm running an impossible race. And yes. I feel exhausted and empty and disappointed. Yes. And it's, it's perpetual. Never and, ending. But when I walk by faith, there are going to be peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. But then instead, I feel overwhelmed by gratitude and humility, and it takes so much less effort to feel joy. And I think the big thing, the big takeaway is after Audrey passed, for a long time, my view of that was that her life was cut short. But when I, when I accept that her life was 81 days, that was her full life. I see her story as whole and I can still find myself getting lost in the, I wish, or Mm. if only. Sure. But that isn't what was meant to be. Mm. What was meant to be was 81 days and that she lived her whole life, not a minute less. You know, I'm not taking pictures of my empty porch saying Audrey should be starting pre-K this year because I have to accept Mm. that that was not meant to be. And that's part of my own personal journey of healing that I don't think that she is missing out on her life here because I believe she's living her whole eternity in heaven. Amen. So I had this white picket fence that seemed to be perched around my life, right? And it got knocked down and it became this broken mess. But that mess became my message and I wouldn't, I really, I really wouldn't trade a single minute of it because he wrote my story. Yeah. I didn't write it. I'm, I'm living the story that he wrote for me. But something you said earlier that I wrote down because it's so good is you said I had to allow him to carry me. Absolutely. And I think that is really the Christian faith. 
You know, it's not that we're doing mm-hmm. it on our own. This isn't something that we can do to boast in, but right. we do have to surrender. We do have to allow him to carry us. And over and over again, I think we can say that and, and genuinely do it for a period or for a season. But for me, and maybe this is just me, but I have to make that intentional decision mm. to give it away to him and to allow him to carry me over and over and over again. Because I agree. my I agree. humanness takes it back over because mm-hmm. the control freak in me <laughs> wants to take it back mm-hmm. and do it my way. But my way is going to get me nowhere. <laughs> it's his way. Yeah. Whew, girl, you and your sweet daughter, you are still teaching all of us. Well, she is. <laughs> so just thank you for sharing, <laughs> sharing Absolutely. your journey. And I know we've talked about a lot of things, but and this journey is so emotional. And even right now, today, mm-hmm. in this crazy thing called life, mm-hmm. I would love to know what poured into you then or what pours into you now, what resources, maybe that's books, music, podcasts, messages, mm-hmm. what, what has really helped you as you've been on this journey? You know, at the time, during that journey, there was like a soundtrack to my life. I mean, I would say music was always playing. I had Pandora on, I think the station was called Hillsong. You know, it was just the Hillsong um, United Pandora station. And it became like the soundtrack to Audrey's life. Um, It was that spring that Oceans became really popular, I guess you could say. And my cousin, Carrie, she is on the worship team at Life Church, Britain and Broadway. Mm. And she sent me that song and it could not have been more timely, more profound, more impactful mm. than it was. And it is truly the theme song to Audrey's life. And so much so that we have a painting in our home that is called Oceans, that the, the artist was listening to that song when she painted it. I mean, and so... Where were you when you heard the song for the first time? Um, we were driving back from our appointment at the, uh, the specialist office in Oklahoma City. And Carrie texted me. I don't even know if it was just the song or if it was a music video of it. But either way, it was just ugly cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was. And, and she knows she and I have a really, a deep, meaningful relationship and, and she knew what she was doing. She, and I think she knew that this was going to be an important, an important song. Maybe she didn't know just how important, but yeah, she felt that nudge to send it. Yeah. To you. Yeah. And you know, my dad and I call those shoulder taps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how important it is when you get those to act on them instead of just to think them, and when you're thinking about somebody, when you wake up in the morning, don't just think about it, call them or text them. And when you think of a song and want to send it to somebody, do it. And she did it. And then after that, I don't know how long ago now it is well, which I think is kind of like the sister to Oceans mm-hmm. um, came out. So music, in a way, carried me emotionally mm-hmm. um, in, in some ways. And so... Also, I was introduced to Angie Smith. Mm-hmm. She is 
a woman, a mother, a writer, and a speaker who I'm very encouraged by. Um, I found out while I was already pregnant, while I already knew that Audrey was sick and named, that she herself had yeah, her own Audrey, Audrey That's right. who passed away and when she was not long after she was born, like um, hours, I believe. And so she wrote a book called Audrey Bunny, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a kid's book, but... Um, so Audrey Bunny became kind of, uh, bunnies were really important in our Audrey's life. And um, then I just learned more and more about Angie Smith as a woman and started reading what she wrote. Mm-hmm. And this year I read her book, Chasing God. Yeah. And it just so good really hit home for me. Um, yeah. Um, I um, highly recommended it. Re- recommend it. Obviously, I already spoke about the If Gathering. I... Um, it's it's had a, a very strong impact in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, we love not it. On, yeah, yeah. Not only the uh, the gathering itself, but the organization and the resources that they provide. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those like I try to minimize uh, what I follow on social media to make sure that what I am following is filling. If is one of those. It's it's an important it's an important one that I follow and am filled up by, mm. um, and some of my favorite authors and speakers come through the IF organization, of course. Um, then I am such a fan of Max Lucado and his writing, mm-hmm. um, so applicable to me. Um, obviously, I love I, I genuinely love the messy table, not because not because you had me on today, but before we even were in conversations about maybe maybe I could be a guest and share my story, but because I... You had people recommending you. I mean... Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I think you're awesome, too. But just so you know, you have, like, this fan club that's like, please have her on. Uh, well, but I so um, admire you, and I love what you are doing for women, but really more for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And... Other podcasts that I love are That Sounds Fun with Annie Downs Mm -hmm. and also The Simple Show. I love it. One of my good friends recommended it to me a couple years ago. Yes. Okay, yes. And I just love it. I just think it's super fun and um, easy to listen to. And so those are some of my, I don't know, resources. And it's good. It's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up and get ready to kind of head out back to the real world for the week. I know, right? (laughs) We all have to face it. What final word of advice or maybe encouragement can you leave us with today? Oh, boy. Final word. I've had a lot of words today. (laughs) Recently, I was in a conversation with someone and we were talking about, um, you know, bear your cross while you wait for the crown. And I kind of had... um, a bit of a misunderstanding of barrier cross. And I think the, the almost the lighter understanding of just kind of feel the weight of your burdens and, um, but really give your life over. If you're going to be a follower, then the life before, give it over and be new in him. Mm. So bearing your cross is not just it's not a, a light or simple thing, but it's it's a daily, intentional, hard sometimes yeah. mm-hmm. um, decision. But it's also it's it's a gift that we got um, what he did for us on the cross, 
And like I said earlier, we may never understand this side of heaven. Heaven is the thing. Mm -hmm. And this is all temporary. This mm -hmm. broken world is all temporary. Even the beautiful part of it, it's still temporary. So I just have to remember that is to cling to the cross and to remember what he did for us and yes. to focus on that. Yes, yes, yes. Rachel, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for Jen. Being willing to go there with us, to share your story, to share Audrey with us. Um, we just so honor your family. We honor you. We honor Audrey. And we're grateful for the way that God is still using her life. It's an honor and a joy. So thank you. Some things we just won't understand this side of heaven. It won't be as pretty or packaged as we wish. But that doesn't mean there's not divine purpose or hope in it all. Matthew 5, 3-6 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And just like King David, after his baby had passed away, said, I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Oh God, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Allow Audrey's story to pierce our hearts and change us all even today, even right now. Rachel and Chris continue sharing Audrey's life in various ways. One is through Wings for Audrey, an endowed foundation through OU Children's Hospital, through which they provide lecture programs during palliative care week at the hospital. Actually, this Friday, November 2nd, they will host a lecture with Dr. Freider in Oklahoma City, sharing with others how to care for loved ones who are sick. I'll link up all this and more, including Rachel's blog and business and the resources we discussed in the conversation notes on my website at genjul.com, where you can also join my email list and be the first to know when a new episode comes out. So guys, thank you for joining us and even sticking with us for a few extra minutes this week. As you head back out into the world, remember, yes, life is messy but God is at work in your mess.